0: Welcome back everybody, it's Jack Graham and John Peterson with another another podcast. John, another podcast is that
1: what we're doing here, Jack?
0: Well, I don't know. I'm I'm in uh, I'm at Bill Fortney's house in Corbin, Kentucky. As as I came up for the day, I'll be heading back to uh, home number two, which will become home number one in about six weeks.
1: Boy, it must be if, nice uh, to have in, uh, so many houses.
2: House.
0: You know, when you're a, a rich photographer, you can afford this. It's, it's just, Indeed, you know. In fact, John and I, we have to get uh, a broom to sw- sweep the money away from our doors in the morning. And get in our office it's it makes such a
1: mess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Anyhow, um, it's 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 as I always say, it's a pleasure. But this time, it, it, I mean, not that it wasn't the last one. It. it Michael Gordon's with us today. Michael is not only one of my favorite people, and he's a good friend, and he um, he does okay with the camera as well, as we're yeah. going to talk about. Um, Thank you, Jack. He said that uh, he's in that stratosphere of when you look at an image, you go, oh, that's Michael Gordon shot that image, and that's like hearing Miles Davis play three notes and say, man, that's Miles Davis. There's nothing nothing more than you could say complimentary about somebody. Michael, thank you for taking some time. I know you're in between events and you're heading back to Death Valley soon and all of that we'll talk about. But thank you for being here.
2: Thank you, Jack and John, for inviting me on. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I, you know, I found out about what we're going to talk about in the beginning, and that's why we have Michael on. And um, for those of you who don't know Michael, um, it, you know it's like wearing a name tag. It's just, "Hello, my name is." It's kind of cokey, but could you do the Cliff Notes on,
2: sure.
0: on, on, um, on when you were born to today? <laughs> yeah.
2: I was born in uh, 1994. Um, but, yeah, a Gen Zer. <laughs> I, I'm and not as old as you knew know. knew you in 1994. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's scary about it. <laughs> Actually, I just, uh, I, 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 I'm a male, so I have no problem bearing my age. I, I turned 55 just a couple of weeks ago, so I'm now officially receiving the AARP mail. It's oh, yes. A, it's a milestone in my life. Um, not a good milestone, but it's a milestone nonetheless. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, uh, based in Southern California. I'm a California native. Um, my, um, uh, my work is almost entirely today of California deserts, um, it's all i really want to do it's where i spend the majority of my time and all of my and i do photo tours and photo workshops and nearly 100 percent of them are hosted inside of death valley national park and uh yeah the desert is my specialty but not the desert that most people think of say like the red rock desert of utah but i work with a uh, the more bleaker desert or at least in some person's opinions uh, no i
0: remember when i used to do workshops down there and there'd be, you know, six other workshops going on, and we all know each other. And I'd run into these people and said, "Have you seen Michael? He's here." They go, "Nobody sees Michael because Michael goes to places that, a, we don't want to probably work as hard to to go, and b, he knows places that nobody else knows." And I think a lot of us know, know that know not to ask as a, as a courtesy, so he can keep them for himself so and i don't well, do death valley anymore because i can't compete I, you know i'm like a i'm like a an ant in the middle of the ussr compared to what michael knows at death valley so well I, I, I know and he knows death valley so he's my
1: desert
0: uh, yeah. I, I appreciate that
2: jack but i've told you before come on back to death valley it's a, it's it's, you know, it's i might tough. come
0: back but i might come back just to hang out and photograph huh? It's, yeah,
2: for sure. It's public space. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, Death Valley, I've, um, in fact, let's see if this will work. Yes, it will, maybe. So that's a photograph of me 30 something years ago, whoops, at the edge of Mesquite Dunes. I'm in my early 20s there. And I've got that in the bag because on my last venture, I was going to try and find the exact spot I was standing because 30 years ago, there was no parking lot, no bathroom or anything there. So <laughs> I wanted to recreate that. Um, but I've been exploring and hiking uh, and photographing Death Valley for more than 30 years. And it's hard to to summarize, but I think that um, people who come to Death Valley get it. It's an immensely powerful space. And at least for me, i f- Feel my my size in Death Valley, and it's a humbling experience. And for me, it's an extremely rich palette from which I can derive all sorts of visuals. I'm I'm never at a loss for making photographs in Death Valley. The sky and clouds don't matter to me. It's, well, it's i, I,
0: rest- I got to tell you, there's two places in the world that I think even seasoned photographers have to have to kind of get in the zone to be remotely successful, in. and one is Death Valley. It takes a day or two to get get used to the vastness. And the other's in the Palouse, because there's really no no icons. I mean, you're shooting textures and patterns and stuff yeah. that you normally shoot in, you know, what a lot of people like to call a grand landscape. But
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Michael is the master of Death Valley. Yes,
2: <laughs> a, fr- a friend uh, once called me the mayor of Death Valley that'll and, work too and, yeah and and chuck Kimmerly, whom you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. had on and of course yeah, we, yeah. we're doing workshops together now <laughs> chuck uh chuck tends to tell people that i know the park better than most rangers do and and i don't think he's lying I'd say you know they're front country people and yeah. i get into the back country and yeah. uh, as another anecdote i'm uh I'm ticking away at the list of named peaks in Death Valley. I don't have many left, so when I return next week, I'm going to remove one from the list. But I'll soon, I'll soon have climbed all of the named peaks in Death Valley. How long is that list, Michael? I don't know what the total list is. I only wrote a list of what I had left and I've got some inclusions that are benchmarks. They're not not actually named by the United States Geological Survey, but I still have about nineteen left on the list. So nice. I think it's I think it was I think it's around sixty something, but I'm not totally sure. Okay. I have to add. I Michael's peak.
0: Yeah, Michael's. I
1: mean you could uh yeah, you could name your own peak. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, my esteemed colleague Guy Tal, he uh he has a he he calls a particular point in the dunes Gordon's Point where I did. Well, we to... have
0: in, in whenever Guy and I used to go to Bishop to do the Sierra, there's there was Michael's tree.
2: Oh. Michael's
0: uh, leaves. They were special leaves on the path coming out of the uh there you know where it is. Um, We've to anybody where that is. Yeah, I think I
2: know what you're talking about. Yeah. Your
0: special leads.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, so, Mike, well, Michael, let's let's jump into the big reason why we got you on the program today. You have a body of work that has been featured in Lenswork, in the upcoming issue of Lenswork.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And why don't I? Uh, sh- show that to the camera so for lens work subscribers michael, and... we're
0: recording folks just so you know we're recording on zoom but we're not recording a video it's just oh that's everything.
2: right
1: yeah yeah okay yeah, i thought so you were I'll, recording I'll put up a screenshot michael sent us a sort of a pre-release electronic copy of this of this uh, portfolio of images and and you know it's quite an honor to be to be chosen
2: to be in Lenswork. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And it, It's lens work number 161, February 2023, and my body of work in there is called denizens, and those are the plants that live across western deserts that I'm so fascinated by. Um, and in fact... If, here,
0: is, here is the denizen of the desert.
2: Well, you know, if you say so, Jack. <laughs> it, if I could read you the uh, the the... Uh, uh, excerpted passage from the um, from the publication. It was more than 20 years ago that I began to photograph American desert flora. This series began with an extensive species list scribbled on a yellow ruled notepad, and I could actually dig that out and show it to you, but I'm not gonna. None of these images existed in my archive at that time. I had only a vision for the visual aesthetics I sought. I have long been fascinated by desert organisms that thrive in what most would consider an unfavorable environment. Yet thousands of years of evolutionary adaptation and exceedingly limited rainfall have combined to make many remarkable species of limited distribution, some of which are celebrated and revered around the world today, like the Joshua Tree, for instance. My life's work is now firmly entrenched in the visual celebration of and reverence for unheralded desert environments and their flora. So that's the basic gist of it. And those the that portfolio is all flora, no landscapes, although the landscape is in the background in a number of them. And um yeah, I'm I'm truly I, I think uh I think I, I grew up with the gardening bug because I was an enslaved child, like most children <laughs> of our day. So, you know, I was a, a lawn person and a yard maintenance person, and uh, <laughs> I I think I came to appreciate plants at a young age, and I've built my own gardens over the last 15 years in two houses, and um, I just have this fascination with plants, and so I... You know, I set off to do something just with plants as part of my black and white desert work. And that I'll never stop doing it, for that matter. I I can consistently add to that body of work, and I do. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's a a, a beautiful portfolio.
2: There's about, what, 20, 25 images in here? Excuse me, sorry. Uh, There are, I think, 20 in print and 31 or 30 in the extended. uh, That's a big body of work. And I, I, I actually sent
0: them forty. So. Let's just tell everybody quickly about Lenswork. Lenswork is one of the. Uh, I, I only read about three publications because right? the rest of them are all repetitive. I read Lenswork. I read On Landscape, which is an On Landscape uh, 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 website, and another and another one. But being in Lenswork, uh, it, folks, if you don't know about Lenswork, go to Lenswork.com and check it out if you're halfway serious about and it's not just landscape photography just a lot of urban stuff and travel and all kinds of stuff but brooks we've had on here about a year ago publishes lens and is an exceptional photographer and really is brought this publication to i think the forefront of of photographic uh um printing yep. And, yep. Uh, I wish he'd do a big book on on that another subject. But it's it's it it's, it's really no higher honor to me than being in Lenswork. I mean it 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 I mean
2: it's pretty it, high honor for me. Yeah yeah
0: yeah. If, if go to Lenswork dot com, you can get the the the. I think they do about five a, five a year, maybe six. I'm I third. think it's
2: about. Four, four to six. Yeah, they've and had some issues because and, paper
0: and you, can, and you can you can view them online as well or both. You can do both. Uh, which yep. I, uh, yep.
2: Tablet and, version, the extended online version, the print version. And, you know, the the, the, the print version, um, you know, for those who still care about print, there is no better. Uh, form of of monochromatic printing in a in a in a journal or a magazine. Nothing can compete with it. And even if you look at the other uh, black and white magazines, the United Kingdom version and the U.S. B and W magazine, their printing doesn't even approach lens work. And you know Brooks is a old school zone system photographer who belabored over his silver gelatin prints in the dark room and so when he you know decided to make lens work he wanted to have that quality in place in a magazine not just you know in silver gelatin and i gotta say i'm one of the first thing the first thing i had to do when i got the issue was open it just to look at the print quality just to see how juicy it looked and yeah it's just phenomenal print quality did they come to you or did you present something to that uh this time I I this is actually my third attempt. So I, I I before we started recording, I told you my first attempt with uh lens work was fifteen years ago. And then um Maureen uh Brooks late late wife, you know, she passed a couple of years ago, she reached out to me a few years back for a body of work which didn't 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 get published at that time, and I was honestly disappointed. Um, and so I decided to try again, and it was later in last year, and I sent off this body of work. I thought that this probably stood the uh, best chance of getting uh, published because I hadn't seen anything like it in lens work before. And I figured, you know, maybe it would finally meet Brooks' approval, and it did.
0: So and That's what you did. Stuff. I mean, you could have seen Mesa
2: Arch in lens work. I'm yes. sorry. What was that again, Jack? Mesa Arch. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. No, in fact, in uh, fact, I I enjoyed listening to Cole uh, Cole Thompson in your I guess two episodes. Maybe it was two episodes or the last episode. His his uh, talking about how he first sent work to to Brooks and Brooks sent it back and said no greatest hits. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't even think he'll look at an iconic photograph. He he's just not going to print it. No. And he's yeah, he's just not going to do it.
1: Kind of, kind of going back to Jack, you had talked that, you know, there's architect, this isn't about lens work, this is about Michael, but, but the oh. thing that fascinates me about lens work, there's a, there's a, a, a following portfolio after Michael's about this, uh, this gentleman who shot a body of work in an old knitting factory. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating visually. It's, you know, yes, it's not something that I would normally shoot, but you look at the tone, the texture, the patterns. Um, the shapes, and you learn about constructing an artistic photograph. It doesn't. It almost doesn't matter what the subject is. I mean, it's just yep. such beautiful imagery. The subject yep. almost doesn't even matter if you appreciate yep. form factors, um, texture patterns, shapes. It's it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, and and if I can add on to something uh, Cole said. Um And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then you're not going to convince anybody else either, so I think that's really the number one imperative is you really have to love what you're doing and you really have to love what you're producing um because how can you convince anybody else of how important it is unless you think it's that important right uh, and I think it's worth your uh uh worth uh knowing for your readers that. Uh, they do print color too and the color printing is excellent i don't know what the um uh the ratio is it seems like every few issues there's a color portfolio but you know for any of your listeners who want to try and get some work into lens work there's numerous options color is, uh, is one of them as well
0: yeah but don't be disappointed if you don't make it it's <laughs> it's it's uh pretty selective yeah, yeah and weird. you know. He,
2: Uh, Like John said, this isn't the lens work thing, but, but they do, they are now producing, um, smaller, um, books each year, like seeing and sixes and trilogies and things like that for people who don't have extensive bodies of work, but maybe small packages. That's one way to potentially get it into lens work. For sure. So let me,
1: let me ask you a question about the, about the flora in Death Valley. Are there species
2: that are, that are unique to Death Valley, not found anywhere else? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's about 25 endemic species in Death Valley found nowhere else. And typically they'll have the name, well, not, I don't, don't know what the ratio is, but Death Valley is often in the name of the plant, like Death Valley monkey flower, Death Valley sage, so on and so forth. But yeah, 25 species found only in Death Valley. And like I read to you, that, that, um, attests to the, the very, um, um, Uh, specialization of plants for a very particular environment. Um, And some of them, like the Death Valley monkey flower, it only grows on vertical limestone walls out of cracks. It's a very minute plant and it only grows in a very good year. So number one, you have to know where they are. And number two, you either need binoculars or you need to climb up the walls to go find them. But uh, yeah, plants in Death Valley are highly specialized. And even the ones that are found further across the desert like if you move around the floor of death valley you realize there's really only about four or so species on the floor of death valley largely creosote is dominant um desert holly is another one but those plants um they are um and halophytes in general they're salt uh uh, uh, what do you call it, salt-resistant plants? So all, all the plants that grow, grow grow on the floor of Death Valley have to be adapted for this this very mineral poor but highly saline environment. Um, and all of these things fascinate me, and, and it just makes me want to do photography with it.
0: It's well, the um, my favorite image. I hate to say it of, of the ones I I, I looked at, at your portfolio in there a couple of times it's that simple it looks like like a like a half a piece of tumbleweed that's just lit up against the black that's one of my
2: favorites as well
1: yep i wonder
2: if it's uh let's see if i can show it to you and have you confirm it It may it might be uh i just posted that on facebook today maybe or is it this one uh yeah
1: that's not going to work no i think it's like the third or fourth one down in your portfolio um, well, I appreciate that. Thank it's you. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It's it's the contrast between lights and darks, and the the simplicity of your compositions, as well, I, to me, are tell a very powerful story.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Well, do, you, do you make any color images in Death Valley?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and, and you know, this is an interesting conversation for me because. Um, <laughs> Death Valley is one of the harder places for me to make black and white photographs because yeah. it is such an immensely colorful desert. Um, yeah, of all the corners of California desert, you know, roughly 25% of California's desert. And I know it all pretty well. A lot of it is truly monochrome. And when I head off into those places, I only see and think in monochrome. In Death Valley, the co- color is overwhelming. Um, There are many places that I have tried repeatedly to make good black and white photographs and I fail every time because the color is what's dominant and the color is what speaks to me. Um, And even when I make conversions of those images, they're just not working because what rings true in my head is the color I saw when I made that image. And that's generally how I respond to things. If I respond to color, it's going to be a color photograph. If I respond to everything that's not color, light, form, light, texture, design, whatever, it's going to be a black and white photograph.
0: Yeah, I wanted you to say that because I knew the answer because the last time I saw you, we were standing up on the overlook at Artist Palette, and you right. had a—you know what brand, but you had a, a, a digital camera. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And I knew yeah. you were shooting color because I, I looked. I, I said,
1: what yeah.
2: "Color!" I said, "Wow!" I—I you know, I, I I, I actually, actually finally produced the black and white photograph from the Artist Palette area, but it's not of the palette itself. It's off no. to the right of it. And. It, no. I think it's a very effective photograph, but uh, yeah, Death Valley is just so colorful to me that it makes me work harder for black and white, but uh, all of my plant portraits, because they're, you know, they're pretty close up with not a lot of the background in there. And to me, they're not about color. And actually most of those plants are fairly drab in color. They're all automatically black and white photographs for me. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. You know, let me just kind of switch subjects we'll come back to lenswork here in, in death valley a little bit but maybe we can weave this in before the before we started recording um we were having a, a conversation folks and and we got down uh this pathway talking about constructive criticism and this was relating to M- michael one of the stories you shared about uh some 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 feedback you got early on uh from brooks and uh yep. And let's let's talk a little bit about constructive criticism and how important it is, or you think it is, in relation to uh, you know producing bodies of work.
2: All right. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I think first and foremost, I think that um, you should listen to yourself first of all, and follow your muse. Um, and for example, that's how I got to doing like this body of work denizens. I was following a muse. But when it comes to professionals that can help us advance our career, when we get an opportunity to sit with them, I think it's, it's valid and important to listen to everything they have to say and to And to take that information and then synthesize it as necessary. And I say the same thing during workshops. When we teach workshops, I don't expect people to walk away with 100% of what I've told them and to start using it exactly 100% the same way because that's just not how people work, right? You you might take 10% from me and 20% from somebody else, something like that. But the story is when I met with Brooks uh, 15 years ago, during a photo, photo lucida portfolio event um, i i thought i and I think this is the perspective of time, um, both just being a human and being an artist. I thought that I knew what I was doing fifteen years ago, and I thought that I was a good artist fifteen years ago, and the truth was is i wasn 't I was learning i 'm still learning i 'm still evol- always evolving as an artist. And I wish I could actually tell you what what words were said during the meeting, but the result was I didn't get published in Len's work 15 years ago. I received a bunch of what I term today constructive criticism from Brooks that instead of going home and spouting off about how he doesn't understand my work and nobody gets me or anything like that, I listened carefully to everything he told me and I took it to heart and I started to... Um, redefine how I was working. Po- partially to grow as an artist and partially because you know I considered lens work to be a a good goal and if I could get my work into lens work then maybe I was finally doing something right that's not to suggest that Brooks Jensen's way is the only way Mm -hmm. but Brooks gave, gave me a lot of constructive criticism that I took to heart and I know what I presented to him 15 years ago so I can look back and say you know I don't think I was ready to sit with him I thought I was ready but I wasn't and I can say this every day that you know life is a learning experience and being an artist is a learning experience and it's constantly evolving and and I don't want to be ever too firm in my ideas because everything is always wrong right we continually change and so I just think it's important that when people um, give you advice to not immediately um, th- throw it away as nonsense they don't understand me, but, but take the parts that you can take from it and and Let's help yourself.
0: That. Let's rephrase that, Michael, a little bit. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to consider the source. Yeah, if of course. If you jump on Facebook and someone who can't spell photography tells yeah. you how great that, that image is, Don't don't... Yeah. Um, what have your door widened so you can get your head through it on yeah, the way
1: out? Well, I'd almost restate that a little bit differently, Jack. So that, that was kind of a great point. I, I wrote an article recently about putting yourself out there. You know, it's it's tough sometimes to open yourself up and expose your art with the purpose of getting feedback. And yep. so it that one of the key things that that uh, was important in your story, Michael. I think is is who you seek feedback from absolutely, and, and making a conscious effort for the goal of improving your art or the goal of getting published, but seeking out sources that you think can improve your own self if they give you constructive feedback.
2: So not absolutely. going to
1: Facebook and all that other stuff, but
2: absolutely. So yeah, if I could even just carry that further, I would suggest that, that social media is not the place you should go for any advice whatsoever. Um, It is absolutely the wrong environment. And your family and friends are always going to tell you how lovely your work is and that you should be a professional photographer. Those, to me, are not the people you should be listening to. Um, So the that review uh portfolio review uh that that place is called photo lucida there's several throughout the nation i think santa fe center does one i've forgotten who who does them but you know you have the option of choosing your reviewers who who you get to sit with to talk about your work and i chose those people very carefully and everybody should choose those people very carefully and i think it's the same thing when you submit your work for an exhibition or a competition you it's not about how good your images are you should really be researching the jurors and who is going to be reviewing your images if you want them to fly with them you need to know what they like um, and, in the case of portfolio reviews those the the reviewers that get invited to those events are typically the top people in the industry it 's a lot of gallerists it 's magazine publishers like brooks jensen it 's a lot of the people in the industry that a lot of us go to for the highest level information, if you will. And so for me, that's a valid environment to take advice from. But I would suggest you don't ever take advice from from social media and family or friends. It's yeah, wrong. Exactly. You listen to them, say thank you, but I don't think you should take their advice. I think you need to follow your muse. And if your muse is not perfect, Somebody at a portfolio review event may help you dial the direction in, but your fans and your audience are not the people who, who you should be looking to for that information. Yeah,
0: I, I remember back, back in the stock, 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 when there was money in stock photography, there were a couple of really big magazines who had photo editors who knew nothing about photography. Mm-hmm. And they just mm-hmm. picked the images that were like the brightest. Yep. And, and and you could see the ads with in, in these magazines like horrible photographs, but boy, they sure were brave. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. You know, and the problem with listening to peers on social media phot- photographic peers is then you get this similarity of work, right? Everybody's producing the identical thing because you're being shaped by the community who wants you to produce work like they do. And so I think that's the wrong, the wrong environment to go seeking your advice. It's a, good, it's a good place to try out ideas on people, but it's not a good, good environment to uh, solicit advice. Yeah, so net-net, constructive feedback
1: is extremely valuable for us, I think, to learn and grow as artists. I mean, it's Absolutely. it's that feedback loop. You know, even though a lot of people say, I don't shoot for others, I shoot for myself. Yes, and a feedback loop is, is a critical part of being a human being yep. to know if we're doing things right in the world or doing things Socially acceptable or whatever. I mean, feedback loops are all over the place. And yeah. and in art, I think it's equally as important to help us grow as artists and learn yeah. to see differently, learn new, learn new um, perspectives.
2: Yeah. yeah. Especially if, the, you know, some of these individuals that are part of that feedback loop are the people who can directly help advance our careers, you know, then... Yeah. That's the advice worth listening to. Yeah,
0: you know, I was going to say, human nature is also human nature is to be told. We all want to be told how great we are. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's human nature. We want to want to be told, you know, and and uh, you know, I mean, that's fine, but I, not all the time is that going to be conducive to you know growing artistically. I mean, I, I went through a lot of years in the music business. Where, man, when I was in high school, man, I was a, like the best trumpet player in town, and then and maybe even in the state. And I got to Indiana University. And I heard these first day I was there. I heard these guys playing. And I said, "Oh my god, I better go practice." It yep. was a rude because yep. I, I was told, you know, it's like athletes are told how great they are, you know, and then. They get to college and it's a whole new deal. They and it's a lot some people can deal with that and some people can't and that's when they fail.
2: You, you know there's people who are always better and more experienced at what you're doing than you are and they'll be happy to slap you and your ego around if it's too big and I think that the best thing an artist can do is keep their ego in check because otherwise you can't be receptive to good advice because your ego is going to overwhelm that and now
0: and now you you know you've got all this crazy technology that sometimes it could it could mask your deficiencies greatly um you know like i said i'm sitting here in bill fortney's kitchen and i remember going to workshops that he ran and having you know guys like david munch and john shaw and and these guys ripping your your transparency that you couldn't scan and fix
1: that
0: is what you had and and man it was you you learn real fast yep yeah.
1: Yep. Michael, let me yep. ask you: uh, when you when we started the topic of constructive criticism, you uh, you sort of reference yourself or myself or whoever the artist is of you know sort of following your muse. How do you mm-hmm. how do you differentiate? How do you give yourself constructive criticism? Like separate the emotion, separate the muse from from just the reality of, uh, of how good a, a piece of work is?
2: That's a good question. Um, uh, I think, um, well, let's see, maybe I'll answer it in uh, two parts. I, I think, um, my brain is fuzzing out. <laughs> um, I, I think, um, I think, man, rephrase it. The- Question for me again, John. Um, how do you give yourself constructive criticism
1: okay. to okay. divorce okay. from emotion?
2: Okay. Well, so I, I had the thought started forwarding and then it just dissipated into the ether. So I, I think when
0: you hit fifty five, Oh, the, there's no question about and that. It gets better, by the way. It gets better. And
2: I still have a little bit of sick head. I'm slow in the head, and I got to tell you, it, it's a riot. I was up uh, uh, at two a.m. breaking up a skunk fight in my backyard, <laughs> so I, my sleep was disturbed. Uh, skunk fight. And I'm gonna name. I'll this have to tell episode. you, my friend. I got to tell free. you my crazy skunk story sometimes. Yeah. Uh- so anyway, I, I think you need to be a, a really harsh critic of your own work. Number one, um, we we briefly touched on this before, but if all of your images are good, you're not, you're not trying hard enough and you're not doing well enough. A lot of your images should be throwaways. Um, and how I found my muse, and in fact, I, I posted something on Facebook about this today and just kind of a, a, just slightly alluded to it but i reached this point in my photography i don't know 20 years ago um where so guy tall was my mentor and f- four by five large format photography, right? So I thought that was the next pivotal step in growing as an artist, which is completely untrue, is, well, now I'm gonna shoot a large format view camera. But all I was doing was chasing the technical end of photography, right? I wanted to make more technical, technically precise photographs. And once I had, quote unquote, mastered the view camera and realized, well, making sharp photographs is really not that big of a deal. What can I do next with it? For me, that involved a lot of thinking about what I do and what I would like to do and how I do it in the context of the environments and the things that I like to work with. So, for instance, my denizens work, there was no there was no path for me to follow. I just knew that I wanted to do something with these desert plants, and I had a rough idea of what it needed to look like, and I scribbled out that long list of species on a yellow ruled pad, and I said, I'm just gonna take as long as it takes to make photographs of all of these and hopefully they're, it's a cohesive body of work. So I began to follow that muse of my own making. Like I said, there was no template or anything for me to follow. So once I had started doing that work, I, I had formed my own guidelines, and I had some restrictive rules about how I was doing it. One of them is that they're all black and white. Um, a lot of them are made with the view camera. A lot of them are made with a 100-plus-year-old soft-focus portrait lens. So, so I, had, I started narrowing the parameters of how I would do that work following that news. And the only thing really for me to decide was in, in an image by image basis, is this really a good image and does this fit well within the body of work? And if it didn't, I rejected it. So, you know, we talked about this briefly for every good photograph you see of mine online, I could probably show you three or four or 500 that are just not very good. And this is just mm-hmm. how photography works. But Um, And part of that for me is being an exceptionally harsh critic. And I reject a lot of what I make because I don't want to duplicate myself. I don't want to duplicate anybody else. um, And I need to consistently evolve and, and grow as an artist. Um, so for me, the I shaped the the muse, if you will. I I created this environment and idea that I wanted to work within, and and I went down that rabbit hole. Um, and I I think the only way you can do that is to um, let go of everything you know and everything you have been doing, and and find a new direction to to go in, and then be ruthless about what you're doing. And is this really is this really of artistic merit or am I Am I just deluding myself? Because I think this is what a lot of artists do. Um, and there is no right way to know, right? The only way to know is to actually put it out into the world and seek feedback from it and buyers if they buy that's that's validation for what you're doing and publishers if they publish that's validation for what i'm doing but i know that i can't go to facebook or any social media for validation because it's not the kind of validation i'm looking no, for
1: no yeah. i like i like that one phrase. i hope that answered your question oh it did very much thank you i like that phrase you used about letting go um and to add to that, I would say even what what triggered me when you said that phrase was letting go of expectations yeah. and assumptions, and letting go of of what you should be and should not be, um, and just evaluate the piece of work without all of these other things in our head. Of well, I went to this location; I'll probably never be back, so I'm going to make this image be excellent or. You know, I expect that I'm a good photographer, so I should, to yep. You know, you yep. have to let go of all of that stuff and look yep. at your images in such a neutral way. Um, yep. And it's, it's, it's extremely yep. difficult to do, to devoid uh, yourself of emotion, um, you know, the
2: experience of when you captured the shot. It's It's hard. Yep. And you know and 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 it's also okay to actually go out on a photographic mission and to actually come home with nothing at all. I mean that's part of the that's part of the process of growing and like I'll keep saying if you come home with keepers every time you're probably not trying hard enough if growth is your motive Um, for me just collecting pixels and and just following a a template and a formula is not an exciting thing for me to do and so for me i have to always be trying to to grow myself as an artist and grow the way that that my images look
1: i've always had this other analogy is because you've referenced several times that it's kind of like skiing or learning to ride a bike or something that you know, if you don't crash every now and again when you're skiing, you're not trying hard enough. And that's, same thing with photography. Cool. If you don't take some horrible pictures, you're not trying hard enough. That's
0: right. That's
1: right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, Jack, what do you think? You're sitting over there with a stoic look on your face. I'm just thinking how many times I crash.
0: It's okay
1: it's, to take bad it's pictures. Horrible.
0: It's all of the above and, you know, we could beat this horse, but, you know, I, I think when people go to photo workshops, at least the ones that I'm involved with, and I know the ones that Michael runs and the ones that Michael runs with Guy and Coles and the rest of the people I know that run, I know that, that we 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 beat our clients to death about not worrying about what other people think of their work and trying to get them to, you know, don't worry about coming home without anything and the, the, the experience and that, that whole bit. But I got to tell you, with there are exceptions, but the majority of people that I know are still trying to let people look at their images and go, God, God how would you ever get that great photograph? I mean, that's the greatest photograph I've ever seen. And until you lose that man, that it, it's it's tough and it's really yeah, hard. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how to teach that. I, I, I you can keep saying it, but I don't know if you can really teach it. I think I think it has to. It has well,
2: to. I think you know. There's there's two forms of validation, right? There's internal validation and external validation, and I think the downside to uh, being a, uh, a a new photographer, a young photographer today, is that so much of the, the the photography community is geared towards and is driven by external validation and likes and follows and all of these things that are really just a bunch of nonsense. Um, if 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 you can't validate your own work, and I said this earlier, if you can't validate your own work. It's like the people who post two photos side by side that are identical, one's black and white, one's color, and asking people, which do you prefer? Which is really crazy. Um, if you can't validate your own opinions about what you're doing, then you shouldn't even be looking for external validation. You you kind of need to know what you're doing on your own without seeking the approval of other people. But then, you know, when you carry it far enough, then you might seek professional level approval, but not, not social media approval. I think it's a very damaging environment to go for validation.
0: Well, I think I think a lot of people, they know deep down when they look at their images, when they get them home, they know what's good and what's not good. And they say, well, I'm going to keep this one. That's like once in a while we see people who like put stars on their image, you know, And mm-hmm. reviewing an image. We see like a three star image. Not less. But so what does that mean? Well, you know, it's. It's like it's it's not really that good, but you know it's okay. And I, and I look at them, I say, "Well, why are you even keeping it?" And it's either a five star image or it's trash, in my oh. opinion. You know, and I don't want to come off too hard on people either, but you know, I, I don't know. It, it's really a it's really a fine it's a fine line, and I think you have to be. And I take this from my music background. Man, you got to you got to you got to be so hard on your on your on your own work.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: And and if you've done this long enough, and it doesn't have to be that long. You know you know a lot of people deep down know if something is working or it's not working.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's not working.
0: Yeah. You can't dress up a pig all the time. You just can't yeah. do it.
2: Right. And and you know the the reality of uh, photography or any art for that matter it it's a time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I a lot of um, uh, photographers that are new to photography, right? They they want to be a success very quickly, um, and. It's just not going to happen. And so they try and do all sorts of tricks to get there, whether it's Instagram reels or buying likes or whatever the things are. But really what you need to do is spend a lot of time doing it. You're not going to be a success in a year or two or five. You're not going to know what you're doing in two or five or ten years. It's, you're going to constantly be uh, refining and reevaluating and, and going new directions. People.
0: Success means very different things to yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. and uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I forget one of the workshops last year. I think it was one of the one on ones I did. I, I don't really shoot that much anyway. So I'm talking to people, but I had, oh, I know. I was in a Palouse. I met somebody in a Palouse last uh, last summer in August. And I went out two days early because there were some things I wanted to photograph before this, this gentleman got there. And he says, "Well, can I see what you photographed?" I said, "Sure." So I took my card out, and there were twelve frames. There was eleven frames on my card, and I was there for two days.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He
0: goes, he goes you, "You deleted all your stuff?" I said, "No. This—I haven't even looked at this yet. Yeah. I took eleven frames in two days." Yeah, and I think it, it, you know because I'm really picky, and you aren't, is, and people who do this and. We can go write that a list. I'm picky, and not all. You know, I know it's eleven frames. Remember, I mean, was one. is okay, but yeah. you know, you have to be picky. You have yeah. to, you have to get in a in a in a mindset to be creative.
2: Yeah, you know the the idea that I espouse is that like I've been using cameras now for thirty something years, and photography. Only gets harder to me, so to speak. I make less and less photographs, and making good photographs becomes more of an elusive target um, because I have the I have my standards very high right, and i'm looking for very specific things and i don't i'm I'm through with collecting pixels and capturing postcards and all those sorts of things so i'm like you i don't push the button a whole lot i spend a whole lot of time thinking and seeing and composing in my my brain but the actual number of times i push a button in a day is increasingly shrinking and i don't see anything wrong with that because for me and my colleague guy you know the experience is paramount to everything else i'm you know if if i can't have a good experience outdoors then the photographs really don't mean a lot to me. And so, you know, I can look at every one of my photographs and I can almost relive the entire experience up to and following the making of that photograph. And that for me is paramount. And that's why I don't have to come home with a photograph.
0: And a lot of times it's over when that button gets pressed down, not even before you look at it in in software, you know? Oh, Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. And, you know, often for me... I, when when I know I have a really good photograph, the title almost appears simultaneously. Like yes. the whole concept happens all at once. I have the yes. title often before I even push the button. And I can actually, through visualization and through many years of printing, I can actually see the final print. So I have the title and I have the final print often before I even you push
0: the You are button. so correct. And, you know, that happens. I don't know about you. That happens to me about maybe once
2: a year, maybe two, twice, three times a year. Very, 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 I don't know what the ratio is for me, but I've always uh, um, appreciated or went along with um, Ansel's tenant, which is uh, 12 photographs in any good in any year is a good, good crop. So I kind of stick with that. If I can make, Uh, one really solid, important, meaningful, meaningful photograph every month, that gives me 12 a year over the course of 10 years. That's 120 great photographs and pick any photographer in history. How many photographs can you remember of theirs? It's a very minuscule amount, right? So if I could make 120 great photographs in 10 years, I'm very elated. I don't need thousands. I just, I just need some really good ones that make me relive an experience. That's the 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 really important part for sure for sure well michael it looks like
1: we're uh, just
2: about running
1: uh, running out of time a little bit so oh, dang i thought we just started i know we could go on for hours and hours and hours but we don't want to bore our our wonderful <laughs> audience but we'll have you back for sure but folks um if you don't subscribe to Lenswork, please do so and do it in a timely manner so you can see michael's portfolio in uh in the print version and or the extended version with additional images. It's uh, it's a beautiful body of work.
2: Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'll, I, can I promote a product? For that's sure. Not brand- Please do. So I'm, for those who can't get that issue... Um, I'm going to turn that into a print folio, which will appear on my website, but it may not be until late spring, summer, before I get around to it. But it will be a de- denizens print portfolio, probably a t- at least a dozen of those images that are uh, in the uh, collection. So, wow. yeah. Well, yeah. So stay tuned. Michael's
1: is it slash dash Gordon? Uh, hyphen. Michael
2: hyphen Gordon dot com. You're going to flash Gordon? He's <laughs> oh, okay. Of course, I, that's what I was called when Flash. I was a kid. Ta-da. Young Michael, people, younger. young people won't know what that is. I
0: know. Actually, it's a hyphen, isn't it? Hi- Michael hyphen Gordon. Yeah,
2: it's hyphen. And you know the reason why is because there's a guy named MichaelGordon.com dot com who I, I should have checked, but he po- he just posted a resume there, and he's he's owned the domain for like twenty or thirty years, and I don't think he's ever going to give it up. So yeah. I had to go with the dash. Yeah. Well, wow. Well it's been a joy and a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. It's a good time. And maybe maybe
0: when you and Guy get back from Death Valley, um maybe maybe we'll do a little uh a little uh get together with three or four of us. We've been trying to put that together for
1: I'd love to. I'd that.
2: love to, Jack. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it'd
1: be fun. All right, um, folks. Well, if you have any questions or comments, uh, wetalkphoto at gmail.com. Post show notes and links to Michael's website up on wetalkphoto.com. Anything else, Jack? Not today, Chuck. We All right. Well, I hope you both have a beautiful day. Folks, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more great episodes. Bye-bye.